All right. Good morning, beloved. Great to see everyone here this morning. Uh, please join me and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, we once again have just the amazing opportunity to peer into the very heart of our beloved Savior as we meditate upon the Lord's Prayer found in um, John chapter 17. We'll be covering these last verses 20 through 26 this morning. John 17, 20 through 26. Here in John 17 is the high priestly prayer of our Lord. It is the night of his betrayal and his hour to go to the cross to pay for the sins of his people is nearly upon him. These are his final hours, his final words, before being, of course, arrested in chapter 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here in, in chapter 17, as Jesus is walking with the eleven, he, he stops somewhere along the way before the garden, and he begins to pray. And when he prays, he prays so audibly, so to encourage and to strengthen his disciples who are with him. It was earlier in the night that Jesus warned his disciples, Know that the world has hated me because it hated you, before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Indeed, an hour is coming when they will put you out of the synagogues, and whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they do not know the Father nor me. You'll recall this night began all the way back in chapter 13 as Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he demonstrated his love for them by first laying aside his garments, girding himself with a towel like that of a slave and washing his disciples' feet as he got down on the floor. It was earlier in this same night that in chapter 14 he comforted them by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And from there, our Lord went from just one divine promise to the next, divine promises of love, divine promises of protection, divine promises of power, divine promises to do even greater works than he, not greater in kind, but greater in extent, as God will empower these men to be his witnesses, and he will take his message of salvation to the ends of the earth. He promises them that whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He promises them that he will not leave them as orphans, as he will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you and he will be in you. And on that day, Jesus said, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. He promises that they will bear much fruit. He promises eternal love, for just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Jesus said, remain in my love. He promised them his peace. He promised them his joy that no one could ever take from them. And then chapter 16 ended with the final eternal promise. In this world, 
you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So then, in chapter 17, the, the scene shifts as we are suddenly ushered into the throne room of God and the most holy of communion between God the Son and, and God the Father as God the Holy Spirit peels back the, the veil, if you will, for us, revealing the Son's interceding work in His words. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for His glory to be restored. He prayed, Father, I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. And now you, Father, glorify me together with you with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then last week in verses 6 through 19, Jesus prayed for his disciples, the men whom the Father had given him. Jesus prayed in verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me for they are yours just amazing verses as jesus prayed for the father's continued protection he prays that they would have joy and not just any joy my joy the joy of the lord in themselves he prayed for the protection from the evil one satan and he prayed for their sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. But now as we come to verse 20, Jesus prays for you. <laughs> he prays for you. He prays for every believer right through to the very end of the age. In short, he prays here for his church. And though the vast majority had yet to been born when he prayed this prayer, they nevertheless were and had been for all eternity on the heart of our Savior. For he knew them all since their names had been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. But what is the most pressing priority upon the Savior's heart for his church? What is it in these last moments that he would pray in these crucial moments what does the son of god pray for for his church he prays for unity and not merely in outward unity but spiritual oneness in spirit oneness in truth oneness in purpose oneness in christ jesus one lord a spiritual unity that resembles that which exists externally or eternally between the Father and the Son is the comparison that the Lord will use. So with that in mind, let's look at these verses as we come to verse 20. We can read this passage once through and look at it closer after beginning in verse 20. This is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. He prays, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are 
one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Wow. Amen. Um, our Lord makes two basic petitions as he prays for his church. First, he prays for its present unity, a unity that we all share in Christ Jesus. And then second, he prays for the church's eternal glory. So let's begin with number one and its present unity. First, notice who he's praying for in verse 20. He prays, I do now ask on behalf of these alone. And this is important here, as he was just praying for the eleven. Verse 6, the men whom you gave me. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them. I guarded them, and not one of them perished. The them and the these, Jesus was praying specifically for his disciples. The 11. But now in verse 20, he prays, I do, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one. This is really incredible. Do you see this? 2,000 years ago, Jesus is praying now just hours from the cross. And who is on the Lord's heart? Those who will believe in me through their word. Wow. Here we see Jesus quite literally looking down the corridors of time itself right through to the end of the age. And he's literally representing all of us before we have even existed. And I want you to notice the foundation of this unity that he's praying for. He says in verse 20, those also who believe in me through their word, their word, the 11 apostles' words, and, and their associates, who in just 40 days from now will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and will be inspired to preach and to write the final revelation of God to man, our New Testament canon as recorded in Scripture. And this is the foundational bedrock that the Spirit of God so uses to lead us to a unified faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and has caused us to be born again. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 all scripture is given by inspiration or God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So their word Jesus is, is praying about isn't theirs in origin. Right? All scripture, God breathed, it's inspired, it is the revelation of God and it is what unifies us in heart, in mind, in purpose. We believe the, the same truth. We share in the same life, in the same intimacy of re, uh, relationship. And we see that manifested within the unity here of the Godhead. This is why Jesus prays this incredible truth in verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. This is the unity the Lord has called us to. You remember, it was back in verse 8 of this chapter that Jesus prayed, For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them. Jesus, as the incarnate word of God, had said over and over again, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment as to what to say and to what to speak. And so the Son has received the words from his Father. He's then passed these words on to his 11 apostles. And now here in verse 20, he describes the final link in this chain as all who will be saved in the future would come to Christ through their word. Some would hear that message directly from the apostles' own preaching. Most, however, would hear the apostles' message through the written word of their spiritually inspired writings of the New Testament. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? That the Spirit of God used these apostles who bore witness to Christ, who were then inspired to write the final revelation of God that he then uses to draw men to himself. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And this was the apostolic message as they preached uh, Christ and Christ crucified to the world. It was the same message of salvation then as it is today. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now in verse 21, when the Lord prays that we that we may all be one. He, he is praying about a, a, a profound spiritual unity that, that is not created by man. This is not a, a hierarchy that is created and conformed by man. Notice what he says there in, in verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us. <laughs> wow. There is a, a, a spiritual unity, a oneness that exists amongst all true believers of Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 3, Paul refers to it as the unity of the Spirit. And then he lists seven features of this unity he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In the book of Acts, Luke even describes how this oneness manifested itself in the early church on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2.42, he says, And they were continually devoted, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And of course, all of this symbolized the basis of what true biblical unity looks like. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, we are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirits. The Apostle Paul describes spiritual unity for us in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 2, when he writes, make my joy complete. And, and I can say this as, as your pastor to you, make my joy complete. And this is how. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, unity is the result of believers being governed by the word of God and the spirit of God. And sadly, our obsessively tolerant and uh, accepting age, the opposite extreme is happening and poses a, a far more serious threat to true spiritual unity as churches in the name of love and pastors Many work hard to achieve a, a superficial, a, a false, sinful unity that is broad enough to embrace even false Christians and even those who deny the central truths of the Christian faith. Genuine biblical love, however, cannot be divorced from biblical truth. Far from compromising it, God's people are called to Contend earnestly for the faith, Jude third, which was once for all handed down to the saints. The true church of Jesus Christ cannot unite with those who deny the essential truths of the gospel or who straight out affirm a false one. Paul warns us about this in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. He said, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? In Galatians chapter 1, Paul warns the Galatians, there is only one gospel. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, 
or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Don't even bid him a Godspeed. The disunity we see in the global church is really rooted primarily in two things. That one, we do not exalt the same Christ. And two, we do not preach the same gospel. Different Christ, different gospel, and it all fits under the head of Christianity. That's the heart of all of it. And of course, the danger is, is a false gospel will produce a false convert. Beloved, this is at the heart of our Lord's prayer. It is what is truth. What is true unity? The idea that there are all these different kind of paths to get to heaven is a deception from the devil himself. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we uh, prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the Lord's burden of prayer and why it's such a priority for him that he prays us now, just hours before the cross there is only one gospel and what's amazing is 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 god answered this prayer god answered the, that despite all of our many outward differences that that we have all true christians are spiritually united in christ by the regenerating work of the holy spirit titus three through five says he saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Ephesians 2, Paul describes how by our very nature that we are children of wrath. In verse 4, he says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
to the essence of a spiritual unity that, that so burdens the heart of Christ and should burden all of us is that we will be united through the words of the apostles, through the truth and His Spirit, united with the very same spiritual birth that the apostles enjoyed, united in, in heart and mind and will and purpose, believing the same truth, sharing in the same life, enjoying the same intimacy of relationship that can be seen in the example of the triune God. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. <clears throat> Jesus prays that the visible unity of his church would cause many in the world to believe concerning his divine mission of redemption. The church's unity then is the foundation of its evangelism as it demonstrates that the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God who has come from the Father to seek and to save that which is lost and who is still transforming lives today. Jesus said back in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, as we move on, much of verses 22 and, and 23 is actually a, a repetition of verses 20 and 21. In both places, Jesus prays for unity amongst believers, and in both places, this unity is based upon the unity that exists between the Father and for the Son, and we also see that the purpose for demonstrating this unity is so that the world may know that the Father has sent the Son. So these uh, themes repeat themselves, but, but what is the source of spiritual unity? What is the means by which it is accomplished? Well, Jesus answers this for us in verse 22 as he prays, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Wow, <laughs> this is a stunning truth that Jesus prays. But we must ask, what is this glory which the Father has given to the Son and the Son now gives to every believer so that we can manifest this unity? Beloved, it is simply this. It is the likeness of Christ in the believer, in the Spirit. It is the glory of Christ revealed, though, in us. That the glory should emanate the perfections of, of Christ's character through the power of the indwelling spirit in our lives. We have seen repeated in John this theme of abiding in Christ as, as the vine and the branches. For apart from him, we can do nothing. This is a unity, a oneness we share in Christ as a result of our new birth. New birth. Paul talks about it all through Ephesians 1 as he talks about all of our spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world. 1-6, in the beloved. 1-7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, in him. Verse 10, in Christ. Again in verse 10, in him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in him. And on and on it goes. Romans 8, 29 says, we who are in Christ are being conformed to the image of his son. That as a result of the miraculous new birth, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is that great work of sanctification that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. He says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, or from glory to glory. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And as this section ends, notice how the indwelling of Christ promotes this unity. In verse 23 of John chapter 17, the Lord continues in this prayer and he says, And I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Here we are caught up into the love fest of the Godhead itself. For you see, because of Christ's great work upon the cross, the very life that exists within the Godhead now exists within every believer as the Spirit has taken up residence in you. You see, our, uh, our fellowship with the Father and, and with the Son creates this kind of fellowship even with one another as we, we radiate the glory of Christ and his love amongst the brethren. Spiritual unity within the family of God, within even the local church, is one of the surest measures of its spiritual condition. Whenever our communion with God is lacking, or as a, as a church we have turned from God's truth, we are preaching a different gospel, we are living in unrepentant sin, then unity within the body also suffers. But if the glory of God is in us and working through us, Christ says, verse 22, they one just as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. And what is the effect of this spiritual unity? Well, we see it at the end of verse 21 there, in the middle of verse 23. So that the world may believe that you sent me. So the world may know that you sent me. God uses his church in the unity that it reflects so that this dark world sees the great hope that is living inside of you. The one the Father has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, and loves them even as you have loved me. You see, when unbelievers 
see believers' love for one another, it, it offers proof. It offers evidence. It's a testimony that the Father has loved those who believe in the Son. The, the, the loving unity of the church made visible is then used by God as it begins to, to crack and hardened, soften the hardened heart and to draw those still dead in their sins to experience that same love that he bestowed in his great mercy upon you. What is the effect of this unity? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Well, the second section, number two, is Jesus continues this prayer for his church and goes from the present to the eternal. The eternal glory, the prayer now shifts from the believer's present participation in the glory of Christ and the unity of his church to, to that which is future and eternal in Christ. Notice what he says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Beloved, please hear this. There is a, a glory that, that we all share with Christ because we abide in him and, and him in us. There is um, a union. We are united in Christ. Ephesians 1 over and over again. In Christ, in him, in Christ. But the Lord... Jesus Christ possesses a glory far beyond anything that we will ever share, far beyond anything that we have ever even seen. A glory so magnificent, so indescribable, so inexpressibly beautiful that when John saw it in a vision, he fell on his face as dead. That Jesus here in his incarnation, longs for us to see on that day a glory that none but his own can even contemplate, must, much less behold, a glory that he possessed with the Father before the world was. Beloved, this is on our Savior's heart. He longs for his own to drink at his table, to, to sit with him, Revelation 3 says, at the throne, those whom the Father has given him will behold his glory. We will see him face to face as he is. In that day, that day, our knowledge of God will no longer be in part, but the whole. And can you imagine hearing this prayer and what deep encouragement this brought to his disciples. He's praying, Father, I desire that all those you have given me, even from eternity past, eternity future, 
that they will be with me where I am going so that they will see the fullness of my glory. I'm praying that, Father. I want them to see my glory. Brothers and sisters, the supreme blessing of heaven will be to exalt his name in glory, to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with the greatest of joy, to be able to truly know God fully. Jesus said earlier in verse 3 of this prayer, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. As I have said before, eternal life will be the everlasting and euphoric state of this intimate fellowship and perfect knowledge of God, delighting in him for all of eternity where there is no time and all of his glory and being able to enjoy him as we worship him forever. What will make heaven heaven is that you will be with Christ. That is what will make heaven so incredible. Well, verses 25 and 26 summarize the passion of our Lord's heart. He prays, O oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Amen. To be sure the church's visible un unity authenticates the Father's love for his own. And, and what a tangible expression of his love that that is. By God's grace, I have experienced this. I have been blessed to experience and have witnessed this love over and over again through the unity of this body and how you truly do love one another. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows him. This is the balance. God is, is love and he is truth. Christ came in both grace and truth. And we've got to be careful, beloved, because it's very possible for us to become so frustrated with the world and, and, and all that's going on out there that we stop having the love and grace that God has so kindly showed upon us. That's not what Christ prayed for you here. He did not pray to take you out of the world. He prayed to keep you in the world. He prayed that here in this world that we would have his joy, that we would be sanctified, set apart for his glory, that you would be loving even in the midst of a, a crooked and perverse generation, Paul says. 
This is the high priestly prayer of our Lord. This reveals the Lord's heart as he is now but the in the shadows of the cross, just hours away. Here we can see as we, we close the, the burden, if you will, of his heart. Disharmony, disunity within the church of God was the source of something he thought important enough to pray at the very end because he knew how important it would be for us that he prays for us as he is ever living to make intercession for us. To cultivate this oneness with God and with each other. He knew how a unified church in Christ would bring him and bring us exceeding joy. He knew the impact that this would have on a lost and dying world. And I pray that each of us will be convicted by this prayer that we will live a distinguished life that radiates the glory of Christ in us and through us and that our hearts break for the things that broke our Lord's heart that our heart breaks for the lost and when we share our Savior's burden we also share in his joy and only then will we radiate his glory as we should if you have a burden on your heart this morning if if you need prayers to be strengthened um, you can come forward or we would love to pray with you after service but even if you forgot to pray this morning and even if you don't come down this morning your lord's prayed for you this morning and he continues to intercede for you all right, please stand as we sing one more song in worship. Thank you.